Good morning. Our scripture passage today is 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Andrea. Good morning, Antioch. All right, look at that. It's such cold weather. You guys are excited to be here and ready to go. That's fun. That's fun. Now, this is great. Um, I've been reading and just uh, going through the Word. Uh, this Just finished Genesis, reading the story of Joseph uh, just yesterday. And was just so struck that here's this man who... His life, he often felt like he had highs and lows. He often felt really alone and like, why am I in this situation and not knowing it? But the way the story of Joseph is told, we find out that God was involved in his life all the way through. God was connecting to him. He had purpose for him. He had a reason why he was going through long periods of of isolation. Uh, And then God brought all that together. Um, and I'm so touched by that, and I, it's encouraging to me when I see that happening in real life. Uh, this morning is one example of that. This morning, I, I was just telling a couple of other people here, like, I'm preaching today on this passage about qualifications for overseers, pastors and elders. At the same week that the search team just began interviewing for uh, pastoral candidates, and on the same day that uh, later this afternoon, the, tr- the members will be voting on a, a couple of elders. And um, I thought that that's kind of funny because I didn't plan that. <laughs> God did that. Uh, I just thought, you know, prayerfully was seeking God. Should we do First Timothy next? That seems like a neat book, I guess. That seems like a good fit. Uh, and God laid it all out uh, well ahead of time. And so, I don't know, I look at that and I just think, I want you to have a peek at that to see, like, God is... God is watching out for Antioch. You don't have to worry about, like, are we going through a period of time where God's forgotten about us, where we're struggling to answer some question on our own? No, God is right here. He is involved in you, in this church, in ways that you don't even know. Uh, and, I, and I just am always in awe. I'm amazed at God's sovereignty in his plan for everything, but his presence too, his incarnation, as he just walks with us in ways that we don't even see. That's super encouraging to me. Uh, so today we're, we're continuing in in First Timothy. We saw in chapter 2 God's design. He has an order uh, in the design and a purpose with 
uh, government, with, with, within the church and the gospel and how it's transmitted, within men and women and their, the roles we play in the church. And here he comes to the roles of overseers or leaders in the church. And as we talk about it today, just want to remind you, in the New Testament context, the role of elder is always a team sport. Always. Elders function together. They work as a team. Uh, the, in every, at every passage, so when we come to this one where it seems like it's just talking about an individual, just as a reminder, it's talking about the, the kind of the entrance qualifications and the, the qualifications of like, this is the kind of person that can be on that team. But it's the context, uh, the broader context is that, that overseers work together as a team. And that's super important to remember. So we're going to take a look at some of these ways that Paul uh, calls us to examine those who provide direction for us as a church. So before we do that, would you pray with me? And I just want to, uh, as he said uh, in the passage we looked at last week, invite men to lift up holy hands in prayer. Um, and so men, let me see your hands, get them up. Uh, we're going to do that. Women, you can certainly join us, sisters. Lift up your holy hands too. You don't have to to not do that, um, but I want to put some pressure on the guys today. Let's open our hands before God. Father, thank you for thank you for sending us Jesus. Thank you for watching out for us. Thank you for thinking of us. Thank you, Lord, for coming to us while we were sinners. We were not good and desirable. Uh, you loved us, and you came to us to, to cleanse us and bring us home. Thank you for our salvation in Christ. Thank you for putting us together in a church like this, to assemble in the name of Jesus, to help each other grow. And Father, today as we look at the, the, uh, the leadership in the church just pray, give us wisdom. Help us to understand what you're doing, what you're up to, and, and what you want for this, for this place. Thank you for Antioch. And for each one who came here today to come and worship you and hear your word, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would, would open our hearts and open our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1 says, here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Uh, he's using a word overseer, and, and there's several different Greek words that are used that sometimes get translated overseer, sometimes elder, sometimes pastor. The Bible pretty much uses them interchangeably. Talking about the same Thing. You know, we think of elders and pastors as different things. Biblically, same thing. Uh, we just have it worked out a little bit differently in the church. But he's talking about basically the same thing. And, and, and this passage is less about an office and more about a function. Uh, I think the ESV says um, whoever aspires to the office of overseer. It's really not there. 
that was assumed there. Um, it's not an open ESV uh, knock there. It's a great translation, but it's not a good translation of that phrase. It's saying whoever aspires to oversee. It's more about the functionality of wanting to have a, a role of influence in the church, wanting to have some leadership, wanting to help to provide oversight in the church. If, if someone desires that or wants that, that's good. They're desiring a noble work. It's a good thing for someone to want to do. And so for those who do want that, like, I want to have a little more role here. I want to have some influence. This is the qualification before we let them do that. <laughs> These are the things we should be looking for in someone's life. I know for me, one of the things that drew me toward having a role in ministry um, had to do with just, like, I was young, wanting to make sure that I continued to follow Jesus, and I wanted the accountability for myself, for my own walk with Christ that would come with a role. That was one of the most important factors for me. Was that the best motive? I don't know, but it was what was on my heart. There can be a lot of different reasons someone's drawn to a leadership role in a church. And in general, that's okay. It's good. Um, we just want to make sure that that person's on, a right, on the right path. And it has mostly to do with character as we look at this list. Um, because you can also want to come in and have leadership in a church for wrong motives. Uh, some people are drawn toward uh, a leadership role in the church because there's, there's some sense of being close to power. I've never really understood that because it doesn't seem like a role with power, but for, I've, I've observed it, and a lot of people like, I want to be in that space. You know, I knew one guy, um, he said, he was telling me a few years ago, I want to be an elder because I think that's what I'm good at, that kind of leadership. <laughs> it wasn't in an evangelical free church. He said, I'm not really into that following Jesus stuff that much. It's not that interesting to me, but I think I'm a really good leader. I'm like, okay, brother, <laughs> maybe we should talk about that. Um, I knew another guy, this is really sad, he was like envious of C-suite leadership, and he talked about that a lot. I just want to be in that C-suite role, that's just that, that leadership team looks like so much fun. I'm like, dude, there's, there's a little more to it than that, you know, and it was, it was heartbreaking because he, he was defining himself based on this space that he just wanted to be in to be cool. And as far as leaders go, this, this is a, a passage about more about um, who leaders are than what they do. So if there was a job description, this is just the qualifications section of it. It's not really about what elders do or leaders do. We get that from other passages of Scripture. These qualifications are a little bit more about... Um, Emotional intelligence than about intellectual intelligence. They're more about how we relate to, one, to ourselves and to the people around us than they are about what we know or what degrees we would hold. And, and I would also say this is a, a description more about who someone is now than who they were before they met Christ. Any, any good elder, pastor, leader was once not qualified at all for that. And they have matured toward being qualified to be in that role in the church. 
It's a little more of what this is talking about now. Character matters. Character counts. And as we look at the way Paul laid this out, he gives us kind of nine categories uh, that we can look at someone's life to inspect or to see, is this a person who, who would be, who God would say, maybe they could be in, in a role like that of oversight within the church. So we're going to walk through these nine characteristics and just take a quick look at each one of them. The first area we could inspect or look at is his reputation. He says in verse 2, Now the overseer is to be above reproach. And then later in verse 7, He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So this one is brought up two different times. And it kind of raises the question, you know, we we tend to be in a church context, and it's kind of saying, it's okay to ask, how is this person's reputation where they work? What is this, how is this person regarded by their neighbors? That matters for how they function inside the church. I once had an, uh, where I was first pastor There was an elder in that church that uh, worked for a software company and had one of the top positions in that software company. It was a big company that employed a lot of people, so we would get visitors to the church from that company. And they would uh, be like, oh man, it's great, where do you work? And you know, getting to know him and welcoming him into church. And and I I said the first few times, oh, do you know so-and-so? who works at that company, and their face changed, and they said, he, he goes here? I said, he's actually an elder here. They said, well, we're never coming back. I'm like, okay, that's a problem. Now, I was a young pastor, and I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know what to do with it, so I didn't do anything with it. What I should have done would be to say, hey, I heard this from a new member or a visitor today. We need to talk about it. And I didn't have the courage to bring it up like that. But that, that's important. That matters. That was impacting the movement of the gospel in, in people coming to Christ or growing in Christ because he had a terrible reputation where he worked. And that's important that that not be the case. Um, none of other, other situations like that, too. By the way, I've got so many examples Good and bad for each one of these. I'm trying to be really careful not to just preach for hours and tell you too many stories, um, but I'll, I'll try to limit that. These, these things matter. They make a difference. The next one is his marriage. Inspect his marriage. The text says, Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife. Uh, the, old, the old translations say the husband of one wife. Or you could, you could just say like a one-woman man. This is supposed to be a one-woman man. Not perfect husband. None of these are requiring a man be perfect. But he should be devoted to one woman. You know, um, some say that if a, a man was ever divorced in the past, he can never be an elder. I don't think that's what this is saying. Um, I think it's more saying like, 
if you, especially if you had a divorce before you committed your life to Christ, it probably has no relevance on whether you're qualified to be an elder today. Um, if it was after your commitment to Christ, eh, it can weigh that. That might be something to talk about. But it's really an important thing to say today, who you are and in recent time. Are you, are you committed? Are you devoted? You can't fool around in your marriage and then come and lead the church of God. Christ, uh, Christ and the church is imaged in a husband and wife marriage. As Christ is the, the head of the church, as the husband is the head of his wife. Um, there's, there are many parallels that go really through the Old Testament and the New Testament that make that an important thing. It's important to remember, too, like a passage like this was written to all churches in all places in all times. So I think about some missionaries who will go to a, a, an area where there's a lot of polygamy. They start leading people to Jesus, and they're like, how do we get elders? Because this guy's got, he's, he's come to Jesus, he seems like a good man, but he has three wives. What do we do with that? You know, and so there's a challenge to find ways to apply it in some contexts. But a man needs to be faithful to his wife. Not perfect, but faithful to one woman. Um, otherwise, his leadership role is not reflecting what Christ is all about with his faithfulness to the church. I know of so many stories of pastors and of elders who were unfaithful to their wives and have caused incredible amount of pain. I mean, I could tell probably more than 15 stories of that with people who I knew and looked up to, at least, uh, one of those was a mentor to me when I was in high school, really meaningful person. I followed in his footsteps in many, many different ways. Um, wanted to be just like him. He did our premarital counseling. Um, later, uh, as a pastor, uh, he, had an, he, he just met some woman, liked her. They started, they had an affair. The, the affair resulted in his divorce, her divorce, and the death of one of her children. It was in the newspapers detailing all of it. It was exposed in a service like this while he was preaching as family members from her family came into the I mean, it was a mess. You can Google this one and read the stories about it. It's crazy. But the part to me that seems the craziest about that particular story is that he's still a pastor today. Not in that church, just went to another one. And it's like, that's not okay. There's something about the reputation of Jesus and his purity and devotion that's reflected in the way we do church. Um, that, that's troubling. Uh, and there are many, many stories like that, unfortunately. should be uh, the husband of one wife. Inspect his self-control. The words listed here to watch are temperate, self-controlled, and respectable. 
Temperate means like being clear-minded, just having a clear, steady mind, good self-control. Uh, I was in an elder meeting years ago when the youth pastor came and said, I, I think I want to go to this conference. Here's how much it costs. Here's how much the plane tickets and the hotel and all that would cost. And each, each of the elders said, that sounds like a good plan. Plan on doing it. Go ahead. So the next month he came back and said, well, I bought my tickets and I'm ready to go to this, this event. And one of the elders just started shaking and got so mad and so angry. And he blew up. And he started yelling about how it's a waste of money and you shouldn't be going and it's just wrong. And all of a sudden we're like, you were here last month when we talked about this. Like you actually verbally said this would be a good idea. You know, he had many experiences like that where there was a lack of temperance, a lack of just clear steadiness good thinking and self-control, um, that is not healthy for the church. Uh, we need people who have that kind of um, common sense steadiness about who they are. We're also called to inspect uh, his ministry. And really, this is the only part that talks about his functionality as elders. There are only two areas that are mentioned. The idea of hospitality, and then the idea of being able to teach are mentioned here. Being hospitable, it means just having an openness to the people around you. Um, these, these, like uh, many other places, are described in other places in the Bible. We're all encouraged to have some hospitality, to be open to strangers, to help when people are in need. Particularly important uh, for someone in this role of elder. I have a friend who tells a story about the first elder he ever had. Um, he went to this church, and uh, this, this elder couple was quite old. They were, they were elderly uh, and elders, but they had a practice, a commitment, that every single Sunday they would invite one couple to their house for lunch. Every Sunday. And so it was kind of a thing. People were like excited about it and really enjoyed that. And when this guy, my friend and his wife got invited, they were surprised when they went to their house and found it was a very small house, very sparsely furnished. This couple had no money. I mean, and then they sat down to eat and they served pancakes. Is it that pancakes? Because that was all they could afford. And they found that was the nor that's what they did. They invited someone over for pancakes on Sunday and had a delightful conversation and encouraged them to follow Jesus. And it was awesome. Because they were less concerned about impressing people than just having someone in this space where they could have fellowship. It was a beautiful thing, and it deeply impacted him. Uh, my buddy, he talked about it all the time. Hospitality. And the other is being able to teach. Now, in the, there's a parallel passage to this, if you want to look it up, in Titus chapter 1. And in Titus 1 verse 9, it explains this one a little further. It says, He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message that has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So being able to teach means that he, ha he understands the word of God. 
like this isn't new or unfamiliar to me. He understands the word of God enough that he can, he can guard it and protect it when it's challenged and he can teach it and pass it on to other people and to the next generation that are going to want that we want to carry the word of God with them. And so that's an important uh, another important area to watch. The fifth characteristic to watch for is his sobriety. The text says not given to drunkenness. Um, not given to not a lover of alcohol. Uh, this has changed a bit since I was young because the churches I grew up in, drinking was bad. <laughs> you just didn't do it. Drinking was bad, right? I mean, you just didn't go there. Even if you never got drunk, you know, it's the appearance of evil we should avoid. And boy, you could get hooked into that. And I had a ton of alcoholism in my family tree. Um, you know, my, the, my ancestors were... I mean, a lot of alcoholism, a lot of people died young. And so I kind of thought, well, that's probably a good idea to avoid that stuff. You know, so I've carried that idea. That has changed a bit. You know, elder teams now sometimes meet at bars and drink together and all this stuff. And it's not bad or wrong, but boy, you've got to be smart about that boundary. Uh, Getting drunk is sinful for any of us. Uh, It tells us, be not drunk with wine, but give ourselves to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, not with alcohol. And so we want to make sure that that's guarded, that that's protected. Uh, And whether it's alcohol or something else, addictions are unhelpful and often pull us in the complete opposite direction than being controlled by the Spirit of God. So we want to be smart about that one. And make sure that doesn't fall into question. The next one is to inspect his gentleness. His gentleness. The text says, not violent, but gentle and not quarrelsome. Now, there are several other passages of Scripture that tell all of us that gentleness is important and even required if we're followers of Jesus. Uh, Philippians 4, verse 5 says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. Gentleness is not a big heralded uh, characteristic in society these days. People want strength and masculinity and power and all, you know, gentleness, like, well, what place does that have? It has a big place because it shows the character of Jesus to the people around us. Um, toxic masculinity is, is not okay in an elder room. Not okay for a pastor. Be on your guard against that. Uh, boy, we've had uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, examples of that in recent years as well. Most, the vast majority of pastors and elders I've ever known are really gentle people. Uh, the vast majority are really gentle people. But the exceptions can cause a lot of problems. Part of the reason is because if you get someone who is obnoxious or a bully or contentious or argumentative or violent with their words um, in a space with other leaders who are gentle, they're going to have a hard time confronting that. 
and saying, hey, that's not okay. You can't walk in the room and start doing that. They're going to have a hard time confronting it because of their gentleness. So it makes this as an initial qualification even more important that we examine that and make sure that we're, we're putting up men who are gentle in spirit. The next one says that we can inspect uh, his, his checkbook or how he manages his money. Um, not a lover of money is how that's uh, portrayed. Not a lover of money. Now, I mentioned that pastor elder is basically the same. One of the distinctions that we tend to make is an elder is a volunteer lay role so they work a job to support their family and volunteer their time as elders. Your elders here volunteer a lot of time. They work really hard and they get no compensation for it. And then pastors tend to be compensated so they can give more of themselves without having to work other jobs. Um, we're kind of riding right in the middle at Antioch with part-time uh, paid staff. So there's both going on. It's kind of a hybrid model with some like, hey, give us time and focus here, but also we know you have to go and work somewhere else too. Um, Pastors should be able to earn enough to have their needs met doing this work. Uh, But this is not something anybody does to get rich. You know, it's amazing in America, um, the land of opportunity... Uh, people have even found out ways to, to uh, become wealthy using ministry. <laughs> it's, it's kind of crazy to me. Um, I haven't figured that out yet. I'm still working on it. Uh, but, you know, we've got pastors out there who are on the radio or on TV. or whatever, And these guys make millions and millions of dollars doing the work of the Lord. Um, I'm not sure how they've figured that one out. Uh, I have some ideas. But it's not... Uh, not supposed to be the case for us, you know, not a lover of money. Even for a lay elder, making sure that there's no opportunity for conflict of interests in financial management of the church, so that if there is a place where there's a potential conflict of interest, an elder would recuse himself from that discussion, all those kind of things to make sure that love of money is not in play in the oversight of the church is really important. The eighth one has to do with his family, inspecting his family. It says he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. He must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone doesn't know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? You know, if, if, uh, if a guy has kids at home, how are they? How are they doing? Are they respectful? Um, are they wild or out of control? You know, uh, and, and this, is, this is one that just requires a lot of common sense as we look at it. I have a friend who's a pastor. He uh, and his wife adopted a kid from a really troubled situation. And he was an older kid, so he was really troubled when he came in the home. Continued to struggle. So he was pretty wild and rebellious all through high school. Uh, and still now past high school, is that a reflection of a failure of the man who's a pastor? 
Or is that a reflection of like hospitality and grace and intentionality of him? You know, use common sense. For him, I look at that and I think, man, how awesome is that, that you give yourself to help this kid? Um, so thinking about it, well, particularly when kids are young, um, dads need to be present and they need to be involved. Proverbs makes it pretty clear when our kids are young that parents are responsible for their kids. As the kids get older, they become responsible to obey their parents, to remember their teaching of their mom and dad. And, and they become responsible whether they live and walk that path that was laid out for them. Uh, and so having a, a person who is just off absent all the time or who comes into the home and rules with an iron fist and with anger, those are not good characteristics for someone who wants to also lead in the church or the family of God. And then finally is this area of his maturity in Christ. Paul says it this way, he must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Now, sometimes people get saved and they get really excited about their faith. God's changed things. He's, he's uh, freed them from things and they have a, this new direction and there's a great deal of excitement. But excitement shouldn't be mistaken for maturity. Maturity is like, yeah, there's excitement about my direction in life, but it's sustained. It's continued for a long time so that now I know that we're going to continue on this path. Um, it's maturity that is being looked for in this instruction. Uh, less so than age. It's funny when I ask people, like, how old, were you, how old would, would you say is a, appropriate for an elder to be? It tends to be a very high number, but when I ask almost every elder that I know, how old were you when you first became an elder? Uh, the... Then they laugh and say, some of the elders in this room literally just laughed when I said that. Because uh, now their story sounds a lot like mine. I was 30 years old when I first became an elder. I have no idea if that was wise or not. Um, you know, but it was just where I was at. And I was more mature when I was 40. I was more mature when I was 50. But that's just where it was, you know. And we knew that, but it's less about age more about, like, this person can't be a new Christian. There needs to be some time where God's word is settled into their hearts and consistency of following Jesus and helping other people do the same. So these characteristics are given to us to help us understand who are the kind of people that we would want to be lifting up and holding up as leaders um, God is looking for a few good men to provide leadership in his church. Not perfect men. Uh, we're all supposed to be kind of growing in some of these, in these areas, but this is important to make sure that we have an understanding of these qualifications uh, in how we, how we appoint leaders. So what might some next steps be for us? We have some very practical next steps for us to consider. Um, later today, we have a members meeting, um, and we'll have a returning elder and a new one, an opportunity to think about these things. 
as you just decide how you want to affirm those people. Um, I would also give a practical step of pray for your leaders. Pray for your elders. Pray for the search team. And pray for your next pastor. Pray about these things. That God would help provide guidance and that God would help provide the collective wisdom of the body so that we make good decisions. Um, You know, it's possible for a current elder or pastor, any one of us, to fall out of these qualifications, to fall into sin in a way that's harmful. And uh, we want to continue to depend on God to keep us on track for him. So let's pray together, and then the worship team will come back up for closing song. Father, thank you for this description for us that helps us to understand what you're looking for, what's good for your people in these leaders. And Lord, we do lift up the membership as we gather today for encouragement and for affirmations. Pray that that'll be a great time. We also just pray for the search team who's been working through these things and other things around it to help plan for the future. And Lord, we just pray for wisdom. We pray for your leading to be clear. We pray for, uh, uh, for a, a sense of your presence here with us as we walk through some of these things that can feel kind of unknown at the time. They're not unknown to you. So Lord, we ask you for help and guidance. In Jesus' name, amen.